Welcome to Mamlaka Hill Chapel Ruwaka's podcast. Join us as we explore the depths of sin in our new series on the seven deadly sins. We'll be exploring each one of them and with the help of the Holy Spirit, learn how we can be guarded against them. And here's today's message. All right, so today, like she said, we wrap up this series. You have survived. You did not move to another church for seven weeks and wait for these te- terrible things to be, fin- for them to finish talking about it so that you can come back to church. You have made it. We have arrived at the last um, installment of the Seven Deadly Series. And as Judy has said today, we are going to talk about gluttony, which is a very hard topic to address because with some of, with some of the others, even as you came to church, you were just afraid for yourself. You just knew Mimiaki kwa pride. I know they will catch me. Maybe envy, maybe anger. But with gluttony, it can be very hard. It's a very socially acceptable sin. It's not easily picked out or called out, you know? And so even as you sit there, maybe you're thinking, hey, today at least I might be off the hook. I have other issues I don't, I don't uh, refuse, but this one I might be off, off the hook. And I just want to say, like Pastor David told us earlier, you open your heart to God. Have God speak into that space and see what he has to say about you and your love for food. <laughs> and gluttony. I just used the word. I just mean say gluttony, you and gluttony. And let me also say that today, because we are wrapping up, after the sermon, we want to have a prayer session. We want to give you a chance to bring before God not just the issue of gluttony, but of pride, envy, anger, sloth, uh, um, lust, greed, whatever it is, or even if it's all of them that you have seen in yourself, we want to take some time and, and ask God for forgiveness and ask God for help to break those chains loose of our lives so that we don't just talk about them and laugh at the examples and then move on as if God did not have something to say about the sin that so easily entangles as the scriptures say. So at the end of this sermon, we will take some time to pray together, present these things before God, and then we will move on to the Easter series where you shall be reminded that the blood of Jesus was shed for those issues. Amen. All right, let's talk about gluttony, and I'll start with Genesis. Genesis chapter 1. I'll start by saying that, as you know, it is God who gave the good gift of food. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 29, help me open these scriptures. Media will help me and all of you as you're turning in your scriptures, in your Bible, your phones, if you have a physical Bible. Genesis 1:29. The Bible says that then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. So God starts vegan or vegetarian. I don't know the difference, but that. Every seed-bearing plant over the face of the whole earth and every tree that bears fruit that has uh, seed in it, I give that to you for food. A good gift given by God. And then in Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, in Genesis 9, verse 3, after the flood, God adds, to this gift of food. And he says, everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. This is for you meat lovers. 
It is not a fault that you love meat a lot. God provided it as well. After he gave the green plants, he also went ahead to say, now everything that moves is also yours for food. Just as I gave you the green plants, now I give you everything. And you have been enjoying it. You know that you have been enjoying food. You know you have been enjoying meat. You know you have been enjoying drink, alcoholic or not, here and there. You have enjoyed those things that God gave as plants. Uh, across the whole face of the earth. But just as other important and good gifts, like sex, like work, like marriage, like family, like all other good gifts that God gives human beings, humans over time, including ourselves today, have in various ways and occasions indulged in sinful, improper, disproportionate, inordinate enjoyment or use of food that went on to lead to many other warnings in the scriptures. And that is the definition of gluttony. It is taking the good gift of food that God gave us and enjoying it in a sinful, improper, disproportionate, and inordinate way. Hence, leading yourself into sinning against God with the very gift that he gave you. Just like all the other things, it's possible to take sex, work, like I said, marriage, uh, family, so many other good gifts, gifts that God gives us and turn them and begin to enjoy them in an inordinate way and even reorder our loves and love them more than we love the giver of those good gifts. I want us to look at, the, at some of the warnings that came in the scriptures as a result of this inordinate love for food after God had given it as a good gift to see some of the warnings that were given in the scriptures about food. And I want us to start with the wisest man in the scriptures. Please help me with some water. <coughs> I'm sorry. I have a bit of a cold. Proverbs chapter 23. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 1 and 2. The wisest man in the scriptures and in the world, according to the testimony of the scriptures, said, When you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are given to gluttony. And the assumption of Solomon here, thank you, the assumption of Solomon is that you know if you are given to loving food more than you should, and you have been given a chance to appear before a ruler, which means the food is very good, the food before, set before you is very good. And Solomon warns you in his great wisdom that if you know you are given to gluttony, put a knife to your throat. In verse 19 and 21 of the same chapter, He says, listen, my son, and be wise, and set your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat. Meat lovers, I don't know if you have this problem. Gorge, you gorge yourself on meat. He says, for drunkards and gluttons become poor and drowsiness clothes them in rags. In chapter 25, verse 16, there are many other warnings, many other warnings that Solomon uses to uh, warn us about gluttony, about in, an inordinate love for food. He says, if you find honey, eat just enough. Too much of it, and you will vomit. Has this happened to you when you have really, really indulged in a certain food that you really, really like, and you have eaten and eaten and eaten? until you, you know how you feel like you can't even sit down well, you actually need to lie down for 
the digestion. I'm glad I'm, I'm pregnant because now it looks like I'm very full. That's what your stomach looks like. You want to lie down. Too much of it, now you begin to feel like, mm, <clears throat> I feel like I will move away from meat from here on out. It's just too much. Too much of it and you want to vomit it. Warnings from Solomon. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, God was a little bit harsher with this issue. This is a law that was given to Moses. He says, if someone has a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gates of his town. They shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of his town are to stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you. A lot of times, gluttony and general indiscipline go together. If you don't have discipline, where food is concerned, you indulge in food, all kinds of food, whatever kind of food, at any time that you want to, as much as you want to. Usually, if you look into your life, you find that you're also quite indisciplined in other areas, especially sexually. And so, here, the warning starts with a stubborn and rebellious son. But it ends with the parents saying he is a glutton and a drunkard. And what does God say? The men must take him out, stone him to death. Why? Because you must purge the evil among you. Very harsh. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, this is Sodom. You know Sodom and Gomorrah to have been destroyed because of their sexual impropriety, to put it lightly. But listen to what Ezekiel opens our minds to. It says, now this was the scene of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and the needy. Like I said, usually in discipline and lack of control over your sensual desires over your body, also, whenever you are like that with food, if you look into your life, you will realize you also have that kind of indiscipline playing out in other things. So you find that Sodom also had this issue. They were overfed and unconcerned, which was, just shows the general relationship between gluttony and a lack of discipline in, in, in your life. Let us consider some examples in scripture where food was used to tempt and the grave consequences of those temptations, which is why these warnings begin to come up in the scriptures about food. The very first sin that was committed in the scriptures, Eve, was in the temptation food. She looked at the fruit and considered that it was good for food, desirable to make one wise. You know, I forget the third one. And she decides, this is good for me to eat. And she eats and a break of a relationship between humanity and God ensues from there. We are all struggling with sin today because food. Food was the first way in which the, the enemy, in which Satan tempted a human being. Do you remember Esau? The scriptures say that he despised his birthright. For what? For a bowl of soup. Because he looked at his, the situation of his life and he considered, I'm going to die anyway. What's the point of, being, of having the birthright? And you know why it was so important when you, were, you had the birthright? Was because right from Genesis 3.15, God proclaimed the, the, the gospel for the first time. When he said that a seed was coming 
from the woman that was going to crush the head of the serpent. The serpent would strike his heel, but God would crush. Jesus, that seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. A fatal, permanent, deathly blow for the sake of humanity. And they knew that this is what God has said, which is why the birthright was so precious and so important. So for Esau to, fit, to get to that point where he decided, what's the point of a birthright? Because of food was so grave in its consequences so that later on, the book of Hebrews tells us that he could not find forgiveness even though he sought it with tears. And I know that sometimes, maybe some of you have read the story of Esau and you wonder, was it that bad, honestly? Was his sin? People have done sins. Even Jacob was worse as far as your estimation of between Jacob and Esau. But the disregard of the birthright is saying the things of God were not as precious to him as what he really needed in that time, which was a bowl of soup. Look at the grave consequences of that. Communion. Let's talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians 11, if you can open with me. 1 Corinthians 11 from verse 17. Let's talk about what happened to these people in Corinth who did not honor the body and blood of Christ. Says, in, Paul said, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Then, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. When you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. In the time of uh, Corinth, the churches, the, the body and blood of Christ, the communion, Holy Communion, used to be a, a food affair. It wasn't just a small uh, drink and the small piece of bread that we take now. They would eat together and have a cup together. And this cup was actually alcoholic. And so they would know they are coming, they are supposed to come together to think upon the, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross to remind themselves of what that meant for them. But because it was food and drink, some would come. You know how some of you get to real group earlier than others and the food is already there? And they would eat and drink to the point of becoming drunk. And the others would be hungry and they are telling themselves, you know I was just partaking of the body and blood. I needed a lot of the blood. Maybe I have <laughs> seen a lot. I needed to take a lot of the blood. But really, it was a cover-up for gluttony, eating, indulging, not caring for the people who are coming after you. And you know that that happens even in church a lot, don't you know? The tea at the poolside after church, when you're rushing from church, because especially when it's cold and it will get over, or the food in real group, or, you know, classes, Nawiri classes, or ministry meetings, things like that. A, care, a lack of care for the people who are coming. And look at what this brought their way. Verse 27 to 32. Paul continues to say, So then whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, and you see the description of the unworthiness, is the indulgence of that food and the indulgence of that drink. And he says, in an, the, the one who does this in an unworthy manner will be guilty 
of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without designing the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Uh, so that is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you ha have fallen asleep. But if we were more designing with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, look at how redemptive God is. He says whenever we are, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Paul is saying God can punish you to the point of death. You actually die. We do a funeral so that he saves you from being condemned together with the world. But look at the grave consequences because of food and because of drink in this church of Corinth. Do you remember the devil tried to do it with Jesus? Do you know the first temptation that he came with at Jesus was, if you are the son of God, turn this stone into, into bread. And Jesus says, man will not live by bread alone. He was very hungry. In fact, that's what the scriptures say, that he will finish the 40-day fast and he was very hungry. And the first thing the enemy tells him, turn this stone into bread. He was going to be tempted by food. But thank God that Jesus is Jesus. He does not give in the way Eve gave in to food. And so we see that there are disproportionate love and use of food can become a very grave matter and lead to grave, even lasting consequences as we see with the issue of sin right now, as we see with those people of Corinth who literally died because of their disregard of the body and blood of Christ, which, was a, which represented itself in the form of food and drink. I want to come home to you because I know that maybe even up to now you have not yet seen whether you are a glutton, whether you have a disproportionate and inordinate love and use for food or enjoyment of food. And I want to take Pastor David's approach that he did in, uh, for the sin of pride and envy and ask a few questions that will help you to determine whether you are given to gluttony, whether you are struggling with gluttony. Do you find that you often assess how good your day was based on what you ate that day? And this is a constant thing. Whenever you're thinking about your day and how good it has been or how bad it has been, food is a factor in that assessment. Or do you find that you assess how good an event or a place was in relation to the food that they had? Do you try to determine whether you will go to a certain event or hangout? For those of you who take flights a lot, do you try to determine which flight you will take? Or do, for those of you who go for vacations, do you try to determine which vacation, where you will go on vacation based on the food that is offered there? So you make your choices in life. As you wake up in the morning to determine which hangout, which event, which flight, which vacation, your choices are colored by the kind of food that is offered in those places or on those flights or on those vacations? Do you find that you constantly reward yourself with food? <laughs> when, you, when you get home and say, I've had such a long day, surely I deserve. Or you finished cleaning your house or washing clothes and you think, surely I deserve this or the other food. Or at the end of the month, you say, I have worked really hard this month. Ni wakati wakupigia mwili? Pole. Lakini hii kupigia mwili pole is always, you set before yourself a meal fit 
for the king or the queen that you are. This is, you deserve it. So do you find that you constantly reward yourself with food? Do you find that you run to the food line, to the line where food is being served in an event out of fear that you will not find food? <laughs> if you waste one more minute talking to that brother or sister after prayers. You just know people are hungry from work. They will finish. So at the back of your mind, you are very worried about food not being enough for you. Or <coughs> because you're afraid that a certain type of food will be eaten before you get the chance. You know you will find. But chicken, nyamachoma, you know, those worry you a lot. And so you find that you quickly run to the line. Oh, you know, you know you can assess, Saini, about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you even go to the washroom so that you time the coming back with just walking across to where the food, because, or even when you are determining where to sit in that event, you think in advance. I can't sit at the front because at the time of walking out, I'm going to struggle. These are too many people. So you sit strategically. Do you serve large portions of food in disregard of the people behind you? You can see there are 20 people, and you can see there are very few pieces of sausages here. But then you think, see, there's also ndoma and ngwashe. They will eat the other things. <laughs> and you serve two pieces for you. It doesn't even look like it's many. Two pieces for yourself. But you know for sure, based on how you're serving, it's not going to be enough for everyone. But you go ahead anyway. See, watakula sausage places in Guinea. Is this the only place they have come to look for sausage and, and chicken? Do you find that you spend a large proportion of your money on food? If you do an assessment of the income that you have and do a percentage of the amount of money you spend on food, do you find that you spend a large proportion of your money on food? Do you find that you complain easily over the quality of food and hardly ever see the goodness of God through it? You're always too much salt, that's too much oil, and that's too much this, and that's not enough of that, and your housekeeper does not have peace in your house because you're always picking out something wrong with the food? Do you find that you use food as an escape for your misery or sadness? Or when you need comfort, you run to food? Are you indifferent to the effects of food on your body? You don't think about it and you tell yourself, ah, tutapewa mwilimpia. What's, why are we struggling so hard? I want us to read through 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 to unpack what our bodies, how God sees our bodies, so that hopefully we can see our bodies how God sees them and treat them with that regard, the kind of regard that God has for our bodies. 1 Corinthians 6, 12 to 20. Paul says, He's, so he's kind of mocking the Corinthians. So he says, I have, a, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. 
By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Remember I said earlier that usually a problem with food, a lack of discipline with food also manifests in a lack of discipline with other things, especially sexual things. And this is Paul. Paul wants to address sexual immorality. But he starts by addressing food and the relationship that the Corinthians had with food with this slogan. It was a, it was a popular slogan in Corinth at the time. Uh, and Corinth was a city given to hedonism. You know the meaning of that hedonism? Pleasure. Sensual pleasures. I will enjoy this and I will enjoy that. You know, this body is a body of sin. This is where the sin happens. I was saved by this body, you know. And so they were given to hedonism, a lifestyle of pleasure, which is why this was a popular slogan in that time. Food for the stomach, stomach for food, God will destroy them both. Now, some of us hold this view. We hold the view that we exist on earth for our sensual pleasures. We believe that we have a right to do anything with our bodies because and so we allow ourselves to be mastered by our bodily desires, we allow ourselves to be ruled by our appetites. Let me give you a sobering truth that Paul shares in verse 14. In verse 14, Paul says, by his power, God, ra God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you remember what Jesus said to doubting Thomas? Jesus raises, is raised from the dead and he comes and appears to his disciples, but Thomas is not there. And later on when they tell him that the Lord was here, we saw him, he says, unless I see, unless I put my, hand, my fingers where the nails were, unless I put my hand into his side, because you know, the spear went into the side of Jesus and the blood and the water came out. I will not believe it. And then Jesus comes again and he says to Thomas, come, touch where the nails were, put your hand in my side, stop doubting and believe. Jesus had this body when he was dying, and he resurrects, he's raised from the dead. Does he not have the same body? Is Thomas unable, not able to put his hand on where the nails were and put it into? I, I like to imagine what that means, into his body. In fact, in Revelations, the Bible says that the, there was, the lamps on the, on, the, on the side of the throne looked like it had been slain, which tells you that that body that Jesus died with is the body that he was resurrected with. But here you are, believing that utapewa mwilimpia, ambayo sio hii enye unafanya nao vile unataka. I know that this is a terrifying thought for some of us. I know that some of us would rather be rid of our bodies. We don't like how we look. We don't like the shape of our bodies. We don't like our faces. We don't like this or the other. Or maybe your body is uh, suffering from a debilitating sickness. And so it's being weakened and, you know, it doesn't look how you think people should look. Or, you know, maybe you went through, uh, you had cancer, part of your body was cut off, you know what I mean. And so 
for you, it is a terrifying thought to imagine that you will be raised with this body. But this body was a glorified body, the body of Jesus. Remember, he would come through walls, he, they would be seated somewhere, and then he would appear among them. So the, the being resurrected with this body is not a, a God saying, it, it will not, I will not do anything with it. It will be swallowed up in immortality. Except people are going to know you. This will be your body. We will know you. That's how we will know each other in heaven. It's not the spirit or the energy. I just feel this energy and I think this must be Pastor Judy. No. <laughs> I, <laughs> I will know this person. You will be raised with your body. This is what Paul says. Just like Jesus was raised, you will be raised with that, with, with that body. And then... Let's read verse 19 and 20 so that you can see the redemptive truth about being raised with our bodies, these bodies that the Lord gave to us. It says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Some of us believe that when we, were, when we were born again, when we were saved, our spirits were saved, our souls were saved, but our bodies were not. But here is Paul saying that the costly price that was paid on the cross was paid so that also your body would be redeemed. Can you imagine that the body you are seated with here now, God paid for that body. When he was redeeming you from sin, it wasn't just your spirit and your soul that he redeemed or paid for. He paid for that flesh that you are seated with right now. It was that precious to him. He did not take a part of you and save it and leave another part. This too caused the shedding of blood on the cross. And then Paul goes ahead to say that they are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Earlier on, Paul will say that God does not dwell in temples made by human hands, isn't it? And yet, in the Old Testament, when the temple was built, when God was, was uh, remember when Solomon built the temple? He gathered many people. There were thousands of people employed to taking care of the temple, to making sure it is clean, to making sure this and the other is happening. Do you remember how jealous Jesus, jealously Jesus guarded the temple when he found people selling things and using the temple of God to carry out their own greed? And he says, this is going, my father, this is the house of prayer for my father, but you're making it a den of thieves. He was jealously guarding the temple of God. Now the temple did not house God. He cannot be housed in uh, buildings made by human hands, but it was a representation of the glory of God on the earth. So Paul says the God does not dwell in those temples made by human hands, and yet we see that the representation of the fact that it housed the glory of God, and God would come down. You remember the Ark of the Covenant and things like that? Re see how much God ordered for it to be taken care of. But then now Paul goes ahead to say, he does not dwell in temples made by human hands, but you are the temple of God. And what does he do? He dwells inside of you. Consider what that means. Consider what it means for the God of the universe, the honorable God, the great God, the worthy God, to have your body as his temple, as a place where he lives. Maybe it's still far-fetched for you. Let me bring the analogy down to your house. Have you ever had the, you know, where you put your trash in that corner in the kitchen or a certain kabati in the kitchen, and then you went on a trip and you forgot to take it out. And then you came back after a week and you opened the door to your house and you praised God that you came alone, you did not come with other people because of the pungent smell that hit you. Have, has that ever happened to you? So picture that you have 
that, I don't know how many trash bags you're given at your apartment. I was saying some of you are given four. If you live in a better estate, you're given eight. If you live in a less than better estate, maybe two. If you want to take care of your trash. But picture that you have gathered food, whatever, junk, trash, smelly, and then it, that, that black, black bag is full and you put it aside. You don't throw it away, you put it aside somewhere in your house. And then you take the next one and you fill it with junk and blah, 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 and all those things. And once it's, it's full, you put it aside, it joins the other one. The filling of your body, of, of your house with junk, would you ever do that? And you're not even as worthy as God is. You're not as honorable as God is. And yet you spend time, you spend effort, you spend energy to take care of the space where you live. You know how you behave when you go to someone's house, especially someone who is honorable and someone who you, you really don't want to come across to like you have bad, bad manners, the, the small bad manners you have in your house. So when you wipe your hands, you say, where, where can I throw this? <laughs> See, you know how you are. When you eat a ban uh, whatever, banana, you even feel ashamed of that car. Ka, can I try, I'm thinking of it in Kikuyu. Is it Makoro? What <laughs> the pills. You know that you don't want to dishonor that person's place, especially if you consider that person worthy of uh, your honor, worthy of your respect as certain kind of, 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 of person. Now picture that this, what you have, what you're sitting down with right now is the temple of God. But you want to fill it with junk. You want to fill it with all manner of things. You, and you say, tutapewa mulimpia. Let's even say it's not junk. You just are gathering things. Picture if in your house you have a nice set of seeds and then you saw another one and you had money and then you bought another set of seeds and then you saw another one after six months and then you bought another set of seeds and then you bought utensils and you bought more beds and you bought more. Would that house be fit for use for you? So when you're excessively eating and adding on to your food and serving more of this and serving more of the other and enjoying this and the other, what you're doing to that temple is dishonoring the person who dwells in that temple. So consider what it means when God says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. To fill it with junk food and excessive and careless eating is to dishonor the owner of the house and to render it unfit for his service. How can we deal with our inordinate affections towards food? Let me reread again verse 19 and 20. Do you not know, child of God here in Mamlaka, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Change how you view your body. See your body how God sees your body. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the, the rhetoric outside the, in the internet, positive body image, positive body image. That cannot sustain you. What will sustain you is seeing your body how God says your body is. And that is that it is the temple of the Holy Spirit. See your body how God sees your body. Consider that it was bought back at a costly price. Consider that your flesh, your hair, your everything was bought back at a costly price. Consider that it is the temple of God and honor the one who dwells therein by keeping it clean and guarding it jealously, just like Jesus did. That would be one of the ways where you can deal with your, in, with your inordinate affection and relationship with food. Another way you can deal with your inordinate affection towards food 
is to reorder your affections by loving God first and most. Let me take some, pl- some time to explain this. Do you realize how much the scriptures relate Jesus and the things of God to food? For example, the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Peter says in the book of Peter, like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Jesus says to, when Jesus is with the Samaritan woman and his disciples had gone to look for food and they come back and they give him food and he refuses food and he says, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Jesus was literally saying, the work I have just done now is better to me than that physical food, literally. It's not just an illustration. I don't know if this, when I was in high school, I still love dancing. When I was in high school, I was part of a dance group. And often it would happen that after we have danced, we have done, you know, the two sessions of dancing, I would feel so, I don't know, I don't know what the word is, but I would even feel like I don't even want to eat. I'm so happy, I'm so satisfied, I'm so okay. I don't know if that happens to you when you have done something that is exciting to you. You almost feel like food does not have a place for you at that point. I feel like this is what Jesus was saying. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then later on, he says to them that my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And it's a literal thing. He is literally saying, I'm not going to eat that food because I have eaten something that you don't even know about. Later on in John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He is literally comparing himself to something that you need for life. Let me take this opportunity to talk a little bit about fasting. Fasting is a chance for us to do one of two things. Spend more focused time with God, Or number two, to join brothers and sisters who are in pain and who are desperately seeking God for something and not detaching ourselves from that pain and saying, ah, Uzuri, me, I'm not desperate in this season. So what our kufast wa fast? Tutapatana maybe in June, the next fasting season, I might have something I want to say to the Lord. And detaching yourself from, you know how the scripture says, uh, we hurt with those who hurt, we rejoice with those who rejoice. So, uh, because... In the scriptures, whenever fasting would be done, people would be very desperate for a move of God. Do you remember the story of Esther? you remember when Paul and uh, uh, the other people needed to find a new apostle after Judas had killed himself? There are desperate, desperate times that called for them to seek God more in certain issues. And then picture you as a believer deciding, me, I'm not desperate at this point, so let those who are fasting, fast. Or, I don't really need to spend time with God that much. I usually am around in church. I usually am around for Thursday prayers. You know, I think I spend enough time with God. But the underlying issue is that you are terrified of being separated from food. The idea that you can spend 12 hours, let alone 24 hours, without food. Usually you do when you're working, when you're not aware of it. But suddenly you make an intention to do it and you feel like you cannot survive. You are not actually going to be able to survive that day. You know you even have blood sugar, low blood sugar issues. So I might even faint. And you know I don't think God um, is interested in that kind of fasting, is he? And so you know what you tell yourself? Either you keep away from fasting when people are fasting 
or you tell yourself you're fasting other things. I'll be fasting from the internet. You know the internet takes a lot of my time where God is concerned. I'll be fasting from my phone. I'm going to unlog eh, from Instagram and Facebook and, you know, and just say that I may not fast from food, but I'm fasting. Or you tell yourself, I'm going to do a Daniel fast. Let me say something about that. I know this is a bit controversial, but you know Daniel did not call out he was doing a fast. Daniel was obeying God. Some food was not considered right according to Jewish law. So he was avoiding that food for obedience to God. But because you are terrified of being separated from food completely, you change it slightly and say, it's a Daniel fast. But you are making sure that you have something left because you will die. You are terrified of being separated from food. Look, if you love God, if you reorder your loves and love God. Have you seen people who love fasting? Do you know them? I don't know if, I hope you have friends in your life who love fasting, who rejoice at the idea of fasting, who take their time, who are awake. They ask us, January kwanini naisha na pastors amjanini, amjatuambia tuna fast. They are desperate to spend time with God. They have reordered their lives and they have considered food as less than God. Jesus said, no, God said in Deuteronomy 8, I humbled you, I caused you to hunger so that you would know that man does not live by bread alone, which is the same thing that Jesus uses when he's tempted with food. And he's saying, I am the source of life to you. Don't lie to yourself that you're fasting from your phone. You won't die if you don't use your phone. But if you don't eat, you will die, isn't it? So fasting, you're saying, God, you are my life more than food ever was. And you want to spend time with God because you have reordered your loves in that regard. When you go for weddings, let me ask you, what's the important part for you? Is it the ceremony or the reception? Right? What about the reception is so big? When you are bothering people who are dating left, right, and center. The wedding is related to the mchele, to the food. Let me tell you, if you have your love reordered for God, the covenant in a wedding ceremony will matter to you more than the fun and the food outside. The chance to rehear the covenant afresh between a man and a woman, and that being related to the relationship between Christ and the church, and the commitment the, that I will never leave you in good times, in bad times, in sickness, in health. It is such a beautiful thing to behold afresh. Reorder your love for God, you will find that the covenant in a wedding is more important to you than the dancing and the eating. When you go for real groups, and food is more important in that hangout than the discussion of the scriptures. Ah, tuarakishi, unajua tutaacha food huku na vizuri kuacha you know they have cooked it's not good to do this ah we'll finish number three next time will you ever does it ever happen next time you come with a fresh study guide real group leaders if you find that you care about hangouts socials eh, whatever you know it's good to build community let us go and do this let us go and do the other but the discussion of the word of god is not paramount in your real group reorder your own love for god and teach your people to reorder their loves for god so that the the idea of spending time in scripture in unpacking the person of god and seeing how that affects them in their lives is more important in your real group than the hangouts and the socials and the eating and the this and the other all right so reorder your love for god let me finish there by saying let god be your all-satisfying joy and your all-satisfying 
desire, above food, above every other thing that turns your attention from God. And who knows, the next thing you know, you might be the ESO, you might be the people in Corinthians being punished for certain things because you did not think food had such a hold over you. Find out if God is better to you, is a source of life to you more than food ever was. Amen? All right. I want us to turn our attentions and take some time to go before God in prayer. To go before God in prayer, not just about this issue of gluttony.